Shalom. Welcome to the New Millennium Edition of the Torah Teaching. This audio program is produced by Lion and Lamb Ministries and is presented by Monty Judah. This portion is the portion that follows the Ten Commandments. For those of you who were at last Shabbat and or following along in the Torah schedule, last week was the portion in which the God speaks from Mount Sinai the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel, that they literally heard his voice uh, speaking. And when they heard his voice, they were very, very concerned. They heard the voice of God. It made the mountain shake. It was a thunderous sound. There was a great fire from the mountain. Smoke was coming up like a furnace. There was a sounding of a shofar, and then they actually heard the very voice of God speak these commandments that he spoke from the mountain. Needless to say, it was a moving experience. And the children of Israel immediately went to Moses, and they said, Moses, if we hear the voice of God again, we will surely die. You, Moses, you go up on the mountain, you talk to God, and whatsoever God says to you, you bring back and you tell us that, and that's what we'll do. And we know the rest of this account of the dialogue, it comes from the book of Deuteronomy, but essentially the Lord heard the voice of the people, and he said, I have heard the voice of the people, and what they've said is a good thing. Yes, Moses, you come, I will explain to you and send you down. And whatsoever I say, I will require it of them. And so what we have in this portion, which we call Mishpatim, beginning in Exodus chapter 21 through 24, this is the recounting of the ordinances and the statutes, what we call Mishpatim, that came after the Ten Commandments. This is the part that God gave to Moses, and Moses wrote down, and he came down off the mountain. This is the part they didn't want to hear the voice of God say, but just the same God said these are his commandments, this is his teaching, and he instructed Moses to come and recount it to us. Now, in the course of this, if you'll follow me, it says there in chapter 21, verse 1, Now these are the ordinances which you shall set before them. And so then if we follow all the way over to chapter 24, where it says that, verse 3, Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken we will do. So that's what encases this teaching, which is Exodus 21 through 24. These are the actual instructions. These are the actual commandments that God gave on the mountain to Moses, and Moses came down and recounted to the children of Israel. They are as valid as the Ten Commandments. There is a corresponding passage in the New Testament in which the Yeshua gives a rendition of this same teaching. We call this, amongst Torah teachers, this is what we call the epitome of the Torah. In other words, it's shortened, encased of, of the whole kind of, the whole Torah. All the commandments of God are summarized, hit on, and, and uh, broached. And what Moses really does from here on out in the, in the remainder of the Torah is really expanding on what was recounted here that God gave him on the mountain. And so what we're going to find is a very interesting study in what are the commandments of God. Not only are they the Ten Commandments, which you have heard, 
and many times taught, but there are also these commandments in chapter 21 through 24, encased within what we call the Mishpatim, the ordinances of the Lord. Now, some would like to tell you, without having gone in and studied these, these really are not very applicable today. Aren't these ancient, archaic things? But I would suggest to you, they're not ancient or archaic. They are as applicable today as in the, the, the day that Moses brought them down from the mountain. And in particular, I will show you how Yeshua specifically teaches these and speaks of these very commandments when he gives his teaching. And so in the New Covenant, I will show you the comparison of how the New Covenant brings out these commandments and teaches them even more, more fully than necessarily what Moses recounted for us. If you follow along with me, let me just read just a bit as we start this, and then I'm going to kind of summarize for you and just follow along so that you can see what the nature of the commandments are. And what I would hope, quite honestly, is that your curiosity would be such that after this Shabbat, after you've heard this instruction from me this evening, you would actually go back and spend a little bit of time in this. I mean, this is, this is straight God. This is God talking to man saying, this is what I expect of you. And there's a whole assortment of commandments that he will address. Let me read, beginning first, Exodus 21, beginning at verse 1 for a few verses. Now, these are the ordinances which you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years. But on the seventh, he shall go out as a free man without payment. And if he comes alone, he shall go out alone. But if he has a husband of a, if he's the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to her master and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God and then he shall bring him to the door, the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him permanently. Hebrew slavery. If a man was indebted to such a sin that he had to sell himself, if he didn't have a wife and he got sold to a master and the master was caring for him, and there's a limited period, and if the master provided a wife for him and he had children and so forth, when his duty is done, when his payment is done, he is free to go. He has paid the duty to his master, however his wife and children don't. If he wishes to remain with them, he must then commit himself to the master permanently for the rest of his life. Doesn't sound like it's very applicable to our new covenant faith, does it? Certainly doesn't sound applicable to the Western world. I mean, we don't have slavery. But the definition that's being given here of slavery by the Bible is not the world's definition of slavery. The world's definition of slavery is that a slave is, is a less than human being. He's a substandard person who has no rights. There's no respect given to him. And certainly the master are known as tyrants. But in this particular version, what is described here is the slave that would go into the master's house gets to eat the same food as the master's children eats. He must receive the same accommodations as any other member of the household, the same care as any other in the household of the master. And what would develop would be a relationship in which that there was love 
There was care. There was concern for one another. They literally became family to such an extent that literally it was not a hard choice at all for the man then to commit himself to be a servant for life to that house. In fact, they had a procedure for him to do it. He had to make testimony. I love my master. I love my wife and my children. The master has given to me. And for the reason of love, I will not go out as a free man. Well, brethren, I have news for you. That is the new covenant. That is the teaching of Yeshua the Messiah. What he's invited you to come and do is for you to come and join the household of God. Let God be your master. And for you to be a participant in the house of God, in the family of God, to such an extent that for the reason of love, you will stay with your family, you will stay with your brethren, and you will not go out as a free man. Now, each of us come into the faith, and we have this idea that as a result of being made free from sin and having the grace of God and mercy and so forth, Quite honestly, I think some of us think that we're just cut loose and free. And I'm not necessarily advocating some Calvinist thinking or free will kind of thinking. But what I am saying is this. We all know that you cannot make a valid decision to commit yourself to service unless you are free to do so. If you go from being a slave to one master to a slave of another... There was no decision on your part. That was a deal between masters. And the Lord is not interested in you being a servant of him in which that you come out of being a slave to sin just so you can become the slave of God. Now, there's some who would like to think that when God took the children of Israel out of the slavery of Egypt, that he kind of put them under some kind of religious, uh, spiritual, legalistic bondage, some kind of religious slavery when he put the law on him. The opposite is true. The commandments of God are what ensures freedom. Rule of law is what makes a civilized people free to live. It's the people who don't have the rule of law in the land where they are. They're slaves. They are subject to everyone and everything. But those who live with law and rules experience and taste freedom. What God established here was a system in which that a man who was indebted to another could pay debt and it wasn't forever that he could have a chance at freedom, even if he had put himself into such an indebted state. This is what we call, and later on in the Torah it'll be taught specifically, this is called the law of the bondservant. The law of of the bondservant. And by the way, every New Testament teacher, every apostle, referred to himself as the bondservant of Yeshua the Messiah. Paul, when he writes this, every one of his letters, he says, Paul, a bondservant of Yeshua the Messiah, called an apostle. Now, how many of you hear the title frequently, Paul the bondservant? Or is it more likely Paul the Apostle? Or John, the Apostle John? How come we don't hear the title, the bondservant John? That's what it says. That's what, that's what his letters say. 
That's how he introduces himself. And by the way, the whole book of Revelation is not written to free men. The book of Revelation is written to his bondservants to show the things that are shortly to take place. This business about the law, the bondservant, still exists. The difference between the bondservant of Yeshua and the bondservant that is described here by Moses is there's one additional thing, one new commandment that you have love for one another, for the brethren. Because the disciple, the bondservant of Yeshua, must make public testimony and say, I love my master. I love my wife and children my master has given me. And I love the brethren of the master. And for the reason of love, I will not go out as a free man. I will be the servant of God forever. This is the bondservant of Yeshua the Messiah. And this is a classic, I think, a wonderful example of what Yeshua does in terms of how he teaches Torah. Moses has given us some explanations here, and and what we've had is we've had these new free men, Israel, the sons of Israel now, and they're most interested in freedom. They're not particularly interested in being the servants of God. But, you know, we were servants of Pharaoh. We may have been made free. Now we want to turn right around and become the servants of God. I don't know we want to do that. And Israel didn't want to do it. In fact, that particular generation that heard these commandments instructions, it is characterized as being the generation that had unbelief and disobedience, and only two of them made it into the promised land. But obviously the teaching was intended to be more than just necessarily how they responded. And this is a classic example of where Yeshua is going to bring out more of what the Torah has to say. So this particular set of instructions here about Hebrew slavery has a lot to do with this in our new covenant faith because we have the testimony of the new covenant leaders in the New Testament who make reference to this and they themselves give testimony that they've done this. So it is applicable to us in our new covenant faith. It goes on down through. Now, I'm going to kind of accelerate here for a little bit, but let me just give you a summary level kind of listing of what these commandments are included. Really, the section that we're looking at here in Exodus 21, we could categorize this and we could call this the rights of persons. God specifically, if you will, does a bill of rights. The rights of all persons. Even slaves have rights. Even servants have rights. And so he details them out for us. Then he shifts into a discussion about what is the difference between murder and manslaughter. We, we know what the difference is. Murder is that you intended to kill someone. Manslaughter is you accidentally killed someone. Either it was by negligence, but you didn't intend to. That's not the result, but murder you did intend. You were looking for that result. Which brings us to a very interesting point. It turns out that the distinguishing characteristics of these commandments are what is in your heart? What is it that you intentioned to do? And it's very interesting how the commandments begin to take shape as to how certain business dealings are going to be handled amongst us. The fact of the matter is, most of the commandments have to do with our relationship with other men. How do we get along with other men? Because there's more of us 
than just God in you, there's a few more ramifications. There's a few more explanations, if you will, that need to be given because of your dealings with other men. Things that you could do intentionally, accidentally, what they could do intentionally, accidentally, and how do you sort all that out? And here's a series of commandments of how you sort things out. So there's a difference between murder and manslaughter. And then he gets into a whole section that we call damage penalties for a person. In other words, what should be the definition of fair and right and correct? Let's say that someone damages someone, hurts someone, injures someone, damages their property. How do you resolve that? And the way it is simplified and characterized for us is in the following way. You read down through uh, Exodus 21, you come to verse 23, and it says, But if there is further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Now, this is where we come to kind of an interesting study in the Torah. Does he mean literally? I mean, you know, if you accidentally poke some guy's eye out, you know, is the payment you get your eye poked out? If you accidentally burn someone, what are we going to do? Walk you up to the stove and kind of take your hand and kind of burn you the same way? Is, is that what it's saying? Nobody believes that to be true. No one considers that true. There's a certain literalness about fairness there that everybody does agree to. But, that, but it's clear that even though it says this, we know it has to mean something else. Now, I don't have a board in front of you. And besides, since of you, uh, none of you are um, here into studying the Hebrew language, I will tell you uh, that from the Torah standpoint, from the Hebrew, there is something that does emerge here. The expression eye for eye is one letter separate from one one tiny movement of a letter and it becomes money for money or value for value is really what it means what this instruction is understood to be is this is how you have balance or fairness in compensation for damages it's money for injury and every society based on this follows through with this idea of that if you someone is injured, your eye is injured, it's not that we're going to poke the other guys out, but that he's going to pay you. If he caused this harm to you, he will compensate you. And in fact, a lot of the, a lot of the commandments that go around here, it's summarized in this, but a lot of the commandments in here, it talks about how the payment will be rendered for it. Damages will be assessed. If necessary, one, the man who received the damages, he can demand payment and a judge can fairly decide what is appropriate, what is balanced, what is an eye for an eye, what is the payment for the injury. We use that exact same system today. And the Lord said that's the way you'll resolve difficulties amongst yourself. If we have a brother here who say, accidentally damages some equipment of another brother. It's right and appropriate that they come together, they assess what the value is, and the one man who caused the damages to pay for the other damages, and it's square, it's fair. That's eye for eye. That's tooth for tooth. That's wound for wound, bruise for bruise. All the way. That's a very simple understanding. This is the proper 
dealings of free men dealing with free men. This is how we all remain free and balanced and correct in a community. And if we'll do that amongst ourselves, we'll not have uh, difficulties in our relationships. Accidents will happen and we'll just press on. We'll keep right on going. Just, and accidents are going to happen, brethren. Because there's things that do happen in this world that you don't have total control over. But there's a system now that God has said of how you will be fair and equitable and how you will do this. But that's obviously the system for if uh, we were all free men and we didn't intend to do it and so forth. But what about, what about if the guy did mean to do it? You know, it can't be eye for eye for that. And so there's different commandments, different instructions. With regard to it. In other words, if the man intended and he did kill you, then it's still life for life. He'll pay with his life. If in the case of an animal, well, then there has to be an animal return. But if it's intentional, if, if something down inside the heart, like, for example, the man came and he wanted to steal from you and say he stole your, your cow. Well, the law specifies something very interesting here. It deals with the issue of the subtle differences. You catch the guy. You know, you got your you got your cow back. He took your cow. But he stood up and he said, oh, I found your cow. I was bringing him back. Well, what do you mean you found the cow? I mean, you had to open the gate up. And you had to get the cow. We all know you stole the cow. Yeah, but I was bringing him back. Versus the man, you caught him, but he'd already slain the cow. He's already butchered it, given some away, sold some of it, eaten some of it. Should the penalties be the same for both? I mean, they both stole the cow. Well, the Torah says, no, the penalties are not the same. The penalty is if he's able to get the cow back, then you shall only inflict upon him the same thing that he intended to do to you. In other words, he owes you another cow. In other words, you return the cow and that guy owes you another cow because he intended to take the cow from you. So he pays double. But if he already slew the cow and you can't get the original cow back, the scripture goes on to, and it's in, in chapter 22, it says he'll pay five cows. Five cows. In the case of sheep, it's four sheep. There's a difference between cows and sheep. Why? Why would God say, if you stole it, but you were able to return it, you have to pay double. But if you stole it and you'd already slain the cow or you'd already sold it and you didn't have control of it anymore, you had to pay five times. Why differentiate that kind of penalty? Well, it turns out that God is intending, through his commandments, to set a system of commandments in so that when you do have this kind of aberrant behavior, that your society and your community doesn't repeat it. You might have somebody try it once, but we don't repeat it. And that's the whole reason behind his commandments, is for life. He's not just setting up a new judicial system. There is no plea bargain pleading to the lesser charge in the Torah. You're guilty. But there is specific penalties for each one that should be done. One argument, and I don't know that I necessarily fully agree with this, but there's an argument that is made that maybe the reason why God has specified a a greater penalty for the man who took the cow and slew it, slaughtered it, 
and it can't be returned, that maybe the reason is because at that point he's transgressed several levels. The first level was, of course, he stole from his neighbor. And he had to pay double back for that. So maybe the two of the cattle are to cover because he harmed his neighbor. So how do you justify the others? Well, one argument is put forward. He also flatly sinned against God. I mean, he went beyond the man. What do you mean he sinned against God? I mean, he sinned when he stole to begin with. I mean, that's violation of the Ten Commandments. But what, what is it really trying to say? It's because there's a, there's a dimension there where they say, even though he knew God sees all things, he decided he would still try to get beyond even all-seeing God, all-knowing God. And he would kind of block God out, that he would sin to that level, that he would literally go into darkness in a much greater level than the other guy. And that in effect, what he was doing was breaking covenant. And that, so that would explain some more of it. But what, what's more, it's because of the sin and the grievous thing that it would do to the community. Because it wouldn't be just a sin against that man. It's because he's now changing the community. Now there's fear in the community. Now extra things have to be done in the community. And there was even a greater sin to other men over and above the man he stole from. The fact of the matter is, and this is true in our communities, we know this, that every time someone breaks the law in our community and he's not caught, it harms the whole community. The reason we pay outrageous insurance rates is of all the guys that got away with it and we pay the bill. That's the reason we pay outrageous insurance for stolen automobiles because we didn't get those guys. And they, didn't, they weren't made to pay. Had they been made to pay, we wouldn't have had to pay. But we now bear the burden in the community. And so there's an argument that's made that there's a lot of thinking into God's commandments that was for the preservation and the protection of the community. If you get into these individual commandments, you find out there's a lot of thinking and a lot of rationale. They make a lot of sense. If you were going to be in a community and the community was going to obey these commandments and have these laws and ordinances, it makes a lot of sense. But, you know, somehow amongst religious men, because it's commandments of God, uh, we don't want those. It's okay for the secular man, the unbeliever, to come up with, with commandments and, and ordinances and statutes for the community, like our present system here, you know, where we have plea bargaining and a little bit of jail time and that there's no proper restitution and no retribution and so forth. And it just perpetuates itself and we have more trouble after that. And I'm sure that you've heard complaints in the criminal justice system that all we do is put them run them through the cycle and we train them to even be better criminals so where's where's the penalty that stops it you know the argument over the death penalty does is the death penalty a detriment or not i'll tell you why it's not a detriment because it's not being administered the way god said it would be god said you will not administer the death penalty except by the evidence of two or three witnesses and you will do it swiftly and the whole congregation will participate I have a kind of a, a joke expression that I use. Justice has been going downhill since we quit taking them to the edge of the city and stoning them. That's the truth. We have a distorted view of justice and that which is right. And we have clearly departed from these commandments which God gave to the community in which to live. The series of commandments that have to do with restitution and retribution, primarily for theft, those which were intentional acts. Then we have to a, we come to a series of commandments, and we're really looking from 
verses 20 through 22 through chapter 23 in the first part, we deal with things like marriage without a ceremony, seduction, the guy seduces the, the lady. There's instructions concerning that. Witchcraft, bestiality, commandments about treatment of widows and orphans. That's a very interesting commandment. Look at that one for just a moment. Verse 22 through 24, and I believe we're in chapter 22. You should not afflict any widow or orphan. If you afflict them at all, excuse me, let me back up. Here we go. I was right. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan. If you afflict him at all, and if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry, and my anger will be kindled, and I will kill you with a sword, and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. That's kind of an interesting interesting penalty on that one, isn't it? Brethren, I have, according to the scriptures, any time a congregation experiences a member of the congregation, such as a man established in the congregation who dies for whatever reason, and he leaves a widow or an orphan in the family of faith. That congregation better take it very seriously about making sure that her needs and her children's needs are met. Because the Lord says, if you don't, I will kill you and make your wife and children widows and orphans. Now, we know God takes care of widows and orphans, but we would like to be here with our families, would we not? Amen? You know, that's pretty serious. That's how strongly God feels about oppressing a widow and an orphan, because they are subject to being oppressed by people. But the scripture teaches very specifically how they shall be treated. That's, I think that's a good idea. I think that's a good, I think that's a good commandment. I think that commandment makes a lot of sense. If we lived in a world, in a community that obeyed that commandment, you know, I think our, we'd have a much different kind of welfare system and, and uh, dependent children's system. I think we'd have a different community to live in. There's some other things that it also touches on. I just want to summarize these very quickly. It talks about loans to uh, God's people. The Torah says, if he is your brother, your brother in the faith, you will not charge interest. You will not treat him. If you loan him something, you will not charge interest for it. Talks about pledges to make sure that you'll keep your pledges. Talks about kosher. It says, um, verse 31, there has a very interesting, you shall be holy men to me. Therefore, you shall not eat any flesh torn to pieces in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. That's a commandment relative to the kosher laws, the clean and fit and proper laws. Basically, it says, if you're going to be a holy man before me, you don't eat roadkill. That makes sense. That makes sense. That's true. I don't believe that you'll be able to pass your, yourself off to anybody being holy if they observe you eating roadkill. You ought to be above that. And the scripture says it just plain as day. Some other things that it says. How do you deal with, uh, you don't get to join a mob. I don't care if the whole community wants to rise up. You will not join a mob. You will not riot. I don't care if you are even protesting. You won't become mindless animals. About rules about lost and found. You know, hey, finders, keepers. You remember the kids game? 
But if you belong to the Lord, he says, if you find something, you take care of it, you find the owner. And you keep it and you protect it until the owner is able to recover it. And he also says things like, and you can charge him for the duty of taking care of the animal and so forth. But you take care of, you be your brother's keeper of his things. And it even says things like, even if the guy is your enemy and his donkey is burdened to the point that it collapses, you will not walk past the animal. You will unload the burden. Even if the guy's your enemy and you don't like him, you will unload the burden. You will sanctify life. You will respect others. And he talks about things like, you will not pervert justice. You will not pay bribes. You will not be impartial in your judgment. The rich man comes into the assembly. You treat him nicer than the other fellow. In the old feudal system, the old feudal system where you had kings and nobles and those kinds of folks, if you stole from the king, there was a huge penalty. But if you stole from a a poor man, very little penalty. Not according to Torah. The penalty for you having done something to the king is the same penalty as if you did it to a servant or you did it to your neighbor. Fair is fair. There's an instruction with regard to Sabbath. Six days you shall labor and you will cease from your labors and you will not compel your servant to work. You will give the land of Israel rest on the seventh year. There are three annual feasts that you're called to attend. And there's other instructions that says that if you're unable to attend, then you are to take the offering that you would have taken, convert it into money, and have that money transported for you to go and worship the Lord. Other instructions, but you will render an honor to the Lord three times a year. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of First Fruits, the Harvest, and the Feast of Ingathering, Sukkot, at Tabernacles. Then it gives an instruction about if you're going to come and worship me, you're going to do it properly. You will not mix the blood of the sacrifice with any leavened thing. If you put bread up there with that sacrifice, with the blood of the sacrifice, it will be unleavened bread. It says you will put the fat up there. But you, if that fat set overnight, you, that's unacceptable on the altar. We're not going to put anything rancid or anything that doesn't look appropriate or right up on the altar. The Lord says, not on my table, not unlike your mother who will say to you in her house, in her table, do not bring your dirty hands to my table. You go wash your hands. The Lord has rules for his table. Those are easy to understand. And then there's a very interesting instruction, and I want to read this to you. Because you won't hear this instruction very often, even in Jewish circles. A set of commandments given to Moses that he came down from the mountain and recounted. And I want you to take particular note of these particular commandments. Chapter 23, beginning at verse 20. Behold, I'm going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way. And to bring you in the place which I have prepared. Be on your guard before him and obey his voice. 
Do not be rebellious toward him, for he will not pardon your transgression since my name is in him. But if you will truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. The angel of the Lord. The Lord says, if the angel of the Lord speaks to you, you will obey him. So who's the angel of the Lord? Now, if you read later on in the Old Testament, you will find out that when Joshua crossed over the river Jordan with the children of Israel, he met the angel of the Lord. And there are other stories in the Old Testament where various men will meet the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord first appeared to us way back in Egypt. It was the angel of the Lord that went through Egypt and slew the firstborn. But there's something very interesting about this commandment of the angel of the Lord because God says the angel of the Lord is in fact God. Now, I want you to think about the irony of this for the moment. God, who already has spoken the Ten Commandments, says, obey me. And then in recounting this, he says to Moses, now I want you, this is God saying, I want you to also obey the angel of the Lord because my name is in him. And if you will obey his voice, he will be speaking my word to you. But we know it's another entity. We know it's, it's not like God, but it is God. Isn't that fascinating? That that's what's embedded right here in the Torah. So how do we obey that commandment to obey the voice of the angel of the Lord? And of course, part of it's to understand what's the expression angel of the Lord mean. It means the messenger. Angel means the messenger of God. The messenger of God who actually has God in him, has his name in him. And when he speaks, he's speaking the word of God. This is one of the first instructions that lays the foundation for the authority of the Messiah. Because we know the Messiah is the angel of the Lord. He is the messenger of God. He's God's mediator. By the way, Yeshua specifically said that's who he was. There's one mediator between God and man. Me, the angel of the Lord. And here is Moses giving instruction from God. You will obey the voice of this angel of the Lord. You will do it. So it's part of our Torah observance to listen to the Messiah. Now, I want you to think of the irony of this. For those who believe in the Messiah, if you make the Torah go away, you also made the commandment to listen to the Messiah go away. We know that's not right. We know we're supposed to listen to the Messiah. Where's the authority for the Messiah to do that? Where did our Heavenly Father say, you will listen to the Messiah? Right here. Right when he told Moses, you go down and you tell the children of Israel, I will send them the angel of the Lord and they will listen to what he says and I will require it of them because he is going to speak my words. Just like you, Moses. So this is a little bit different rendition than the Ten Commandments. This is a, a little bit uh, more detailed. But the one thing that distinguishes this particular set of commandments is as I mentioned to you before, it has to do with what's inside of you. 
What was your intention? Were you, uh, were you intended to do more harm? And as a result, there's greater penalty. And so there's a methodology there to measure out what was the intention of your heart? What did you purpose? And that is what brings us to the teaching of Yeshua when he taught this. And if you would, turn with me very quickly to Matthew chapter 5. And I'll show you what we call the teaching of the Torah from the, from the Messiah. And it's almost, uh, in fact, it's very similar to what we just reviewed, that Moses taught. Let me encase it for you just as I did Moses, what, what Moses did. These are the ordinances, and then I showed you in there in chapter 24, this, this is what Moses recounted as the ordinances that came from the Lord. And I'm, so let's do the same thing here as to what the Messiah is getting ready to do for us. In Matthew chapter 5, I'm sure you're familiar with this, chapter, uh, verse 17, the Messiah begins to start teaching about the Torah. And so he says, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So that's the start. He's going to start talking about the law and the prophets. He's going to start talking about the instruction that God gave to Moses. And it will go through Matthew 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. And, and then in chapter 7, in verse 12, we see the Messiah kind of summarizing and where he says, therefore, that means everything that's led up to this, however you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. He starts off by saying, don't think that I've come to do away with this. He ends up teaching on it, and then he summarizes, and he says, well, let me give you this summary. The summary is, the way you want people to treat you, that's the, that's the way you ought to treat people, and that's what the law and the prophets teach. And in fact, he'll specifically say, do these things to show yourself to be servants of my father. If you're going to be the servant of God, you're going to obey the commandments of God. And so what we're going to find between Matthew 5, 17 and chapter 7 is some instruction. This is the instruction from the Messiah now about what Moses taught, what Moses came to. We're going to hear the teaching of what the Messiah is. And by the way, this is a great messianic prophecy. The prophet Isaiah and Micah both, and we recounted in the liturgy, very, very common. In fact, my Talit has right up here written in Hebrew this, for the Torah shall go forth out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The great messianic prophecy, the Messiah will come teaching the instruction of Moses. He will teach the Torah. And in the kingdom it won't be Moses teaching the Torah. It will be the Messiah teaching Torah. It won't be Monty teaching Torah on Friday evenings in the kingdom. It will be the Messiah. I will be one of the students too. It'll be the living Torah. I've always uh, jokingly referred to it'll be a different kind of Torah study. You know, it'll be teaching there in Genesis about Abraham, about calling Abraham. And then he'll turn around and the Messiah will say, Abraham, stand up and tell him that part there, right there. It'll be the living Torah. And here is how this whole thing is summarized. The people who heard the teaching of Messiah Yeshua, when he taught the Torah, here's what they said of Matthew 5 through 7. At the end of chapter 7, verse 28 says, The result was that when Yeshua had finished these words, 
the multitudes were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. What's a scribe? A scribe is the guy who professionally copies the Torah. And as a result of copying the Torah, they became the teachers of the Torah. I mean, if you sit down and you rewrite, you have to rewrite word for word a book, you'll become an expert on that book. And that's what scribes did. They were teachers. They wrote the Torah. They were the Torah teachers. And the comparison is made that when he taught them here, the people were amazed at his teaching. He was teaching the same subject that the scribes taught. He was teaching what the Torah teachers teach. But it was amazing the difference of what he taught. Now let's examine just a couple of examples of what Yeshua did with the same teaching that we've examined, what he did with it. And why it is they were so amazed and how he taught different than other Torah teachers. If you look back to Matthew chapter 5, and I'm sure you're familiar with these portions, like for example in verse 21, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whosoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. He's giving some interesting penalties. Now, the fact of the matter is, it's not really different than what the Torah actually said. It's just he said it a whole lot different way. Because he's really emphasizing not so much the practical aspects of retribution, and restitution, he's talking about what's really going on inside your heart. That's really what Moses was talking about. You need to obey from the heart. But the people didn't really get that. I mean, it was a little bit, if you will, let me use this example. It was like Moses set the glass up for us, and he put some substance into it. And it was about half full, but the Messiah came along, took the same glass, and filled it up to overflowing. Same glass, same substance, but made it come even more so. The reality of the commandment became alive. It made sense. It was understandable. It was clear. It was specific. It was more far-reaching than what they had understood before. They were amazed. He's saying the same thing, but it's different. He didn't change the commandments. He just made them more understandable. He fulfilled them. He filled them up full of meaning. He did not abolish them. He made them where they made more sense. And that's what a Torah teacher is supposed to do. Make the commandment come alive for you so you see the practical aspect and how it's supposed to and how, how it ministers down inside of you. And that's what Yeshua did. He made the commandment come alive to them so that they truly were words of life. That's what Moses said about the Torah. This is no idle word. This is your very life. And he made the words come alive. Let me go a little bit further for you. The one that I really homed in on an eye for an eye. You should have talked about that. Matthew chapter 5 verse 38. You have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. 
But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. How many of you have heard people wrestling with and struggling with, especially unbelievers looking at the teaching of Yeshua and saying, man, do you believe that guy said, you know, if you get slapped in the one cheek, turn your other cheek. I mean, it's like, have you ever heard the unbelievers? They just cannot get that one. You know what? I got news for you. Most believers don't get it either. They don't get it. I don't believe that you can get it unless you understand the Torah commandment. I believe that you're just going to be perpetually stay ignorant as to what the Messiah was under. If you don't understand, he's teaching Torah. And one of the things that Torah does, and this is a commentary about the commandments, God will always list the worst retribution, the worst penalty first. And then he'll diminish. He'll, he'll talk about murder and then talk about manslaughter. He'll talk about the theft of something, but it was accidental. It's well known that this is the way God presents this stuff. And that's what Yeshua does here. He lists four levels of how you deal with people. And the concept that he's really going to address here is the difference of the two commandments. The difference between what we heard from the mountain versus what did Moses come down and do. And you and I read that to you. Remember, I, I read about Hebrew servants to you. You see, the first set was about commandments for free men. And then suddenly there's a commandment about servants. What Yeshua came teaching was totally different from what the scribes taught is because he put every commandment in the context of a servant. In other words, he spoke to every man as though you want to be the servant of God. And if you're the servant of God, this is what the commandment means to you because you're being led from things inside. Your justice comes from your master. Your justice doesn't come from the court system of other free men. The thing that guides you and rules you, since you're a servant, since you're a bondservant of God, is that you've already committed yourself. You don't have the freedom that you had before. You've given that up to choose to be in the house of the master. And therefore, these commandments are slightly different for you. In fact, Moses did the same thing. If we go back to that Exodus passage where he says an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, life for life, and all that. The very next statement is, Moses gives it, but if the man be a servant, he'll be set free. Moses taught that. He said there was a difference between a free man. A free man, it's eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Payment for payment. You have injury here, we assess what the fair value is, you pay it. But if he be a servant, it's not that system. That's not the proper payment. Why? Well, think about it for a moment. Let's say that I have a servant here, and I'm his master. And let's say someone injures him. Let's say the, you know, pokes his eye out. And we all agree that he's going to receive fair compensation for his eye. So he receives the compensation for his eye. What's he going to do with it? He can't do anything with it. He's my servant. He can't go spend it. He's at my beck and call. He's my servant. He doesn't have the freedom to go do that. He can't negotiate that with it. He answers to me. Now, 
it, it works as simple as this. What really counts for him is that he would be set free. That's what really would be of value to him. Giving him some money don't mean nothing. If you're in prison and you cannot leave your jail cell and you have a million dollars, it's like you don't have the money at all. You only have the money if you can go spend it. You can own the whole world, but if you're sitting in hell, it don't do you any good. But if you're free, if you have none and you're free, you do have something. Well, the same thing is true of us. Why should we seek justice of other unbelieving men when we've said the Lord is our master? He's our judge. I'm not interested in this world anymore. It is of no value to me. Only the things of the Lord are of value to me. Only with my master. And the same thing is true of any servant. And so what Yeshua is going to try to explain to us, you've heard an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Let me tell you something about that. Let me tell you how it works for servants. And he's listed it in the reverse sequence exactly as God used to do. And so let me reverse the sequence for you. And this is how what he really explained. Let's do with the last one and then we'll show the worst one. He said, first thing, if a man wants to borrow something from you and you're a servant, if you refuse him, you weren't really a servant, were you? If you're a servant and he wants to borrow something that belongs to you, give it to him. Let him use it. It's the first level of marking a servant of God. If you claim to be the servant of God and another man comes up to you and who's a creation of God and he says, hey, uh, brother, I would like to borrow. Uh, you have something. I, could I use that? Could I borrow? If you refuse him, you just proved you're not the servant of God. You're not. Servants of God lend. There's another saying that we, we say with regard to those who have the blessing of God, those who have the curse. If you have the blessing of God, you lend. You do not borrow. You have the abundance of the Lord and you're able to lend. But if you're not willing to lend, then you're not the servant of God. The next level. A man comes up to you and he has the security needs. It's where he was talking about if a man compels you to walk a mile, you walk two miles. That's an ancient custom. In those days, uh, the only really safe area of the land was in the cities, the walled cities. You were subject to raiders, uh, other people who would come into the land that would try to rob you, um, unscrupulous people. There was there was no 7-Elevens and telephones and the local highway patrol and all that out there. And basically, as you were traveling through the land, what you would do is you would come into a city area and you would ask a man, a local man that lived there, would you walk with me a mile? And that was the way that travelers would travel in a secure way, that if they were traveling with someone locally, then they were not charged with being a spy or there to steal or they wouldn't be harassed and... and uh, the locals had already established the defensive system against the local thief, and he wouldn't do that, but he might be tempted to go after somebody he didn't know. And so the idea was that you would ask a man, would you walk with me a mile? And you would look for men that would walk with you. You'd walk with the locals. Well, what the Lord was saying, if a man compels you to walk one mile, walk two. In other words, if he has a security need, he has a, a definite need, you help meet his need. If you're the servant of God, help meet his need. Go do the extra to meet his need. If you're the servant of God. The next level. If, uh, if the man wants to pursue you legally. In other words, he feels so compelled that he has a legal case. There's such a misunderstanding. 
and then he's got to take you to court. The Lord said, if the guy is that upset with you and do it, you settle out of court. You agree with the man before you go to the court. In other words, work it out with him. If you're the servant of God and you know God is the true judge in the world, he's looking down on the situation. And if you think that you've been wronged on it, go ahead and agree with him because you'll get your retribution from your master. You don't have to prove it to this guy. You'll get justice, but you'll get it from your God. You'll get your heavenly reward. He knows that you did right, but he said, serve me. And so he says to him, he says, agree with the man. Don't be at odds with him. And then he comes to that part about getting your cheek slapped. You know what you got to do to make a guy slap you in the cheek? Two things got to happen. The guy's got to be evil to begin with. You know, I mean, he's got to be got a real anger streak in him, a striker of other men. And then secondly, maybe you did something that has infuriated him that bad. And so what he's saying is, stop making the guy angry. If you know you're making the man angry, stop making him angry. If he's going to be that kind of evil, then you trust God. All of these, they're just simple little lessons in ascending order. All they're doing is explaining, if you're the servant of God, this is how you will treat these things. If you're a free man, then demand justice. Take them to court. Charge them. You know, extract from them. But if you're the servant of God, do it this way. That's what he follows. And he says, do all these things to show yourself to be the servants of my father. I have a story to tell you here locally. I'm not going to tell you who the brother is, but I will tell you this. There was a group of us brethren, and we were helping one another and cooperating with one another. And this one brother had been helped by a number of the people from the congregation had gone and helped him. It was all working. Everything was going great, sweet, brotherhood, uh, unity of purpose. uh, Everything was going great. And then all of a sudden, boom, this other brother had a need over here. And we said, well, praise the Lord, let's go help that brother. And the first brother we had helped, we went over and said, hey, brother, could we borrow your piece of equipment here? We're going to help so-and-so over there. And shock of shocks, the guy said, no, no. I mean, we helped you. All the, all the guys came to help you, but, and, and you know this is for another brother. I mean, he's one of the guys that came and helped you. No, I don't want to uh, take my equipment over there. Well, why not? Oh, my break. I don't want to fool with you guys uh, in case it breaks. You know what happened? I mean, we were so dumbfounded. The relationship with that brother died. That fast. It was over. We all were being servants together. He's not a servant. We don't have any fellowship with him. Not because we were judging him or critic. I mean, he's not with us. And we're really not with him. We may have done some things together in the past, but he was asked to lend something and he wouldn't do it. It was really ironic because later on, this guy was the guy who was going around accusing other brethren of not keeping God's commandments. I didn't have the heart to tell him. Uh, When it comes to the issue of men not keeping the commandments, brother, you don't have to look any farther than you. I don't have to. He has to give an answer to the Lord. He didn't have to give an answer to me. And I don't have the duty of going around charging everybody concerning whether they are obeying the Lord or not. I'm just here to try to teach the instruction so that you see the wisdom of it, 
the appropriateness of it, and that you in your heart will make the decision to serve the Lord. And you'll see it's important. It's right. It's correct. And if you do keep the commandments, it's life. And if you don't, it's not life. And it won't work. These are classic examples of the issue of why we ought to understand the commandments and do them. That's what eye for eye is all about, tooth for tooth. But if you be a servant, he shall be set free. And we are the servants of God. And therefore, the way we keep these commandments is from the heart. Because we've already committed ourselves to God. We've already said, I love God. I love my wife and my children that God's given me. I love the brethren of the master. And for the reason of love, I will not go out as a free man. I will be the bondservant of the Lord. And I will get my justice from him, not from you. And I won't get it from me. I will get it from the Lord. And therefore, it makes perfect sense that if the man wants to borrow, I will lend. If a man has a need, I will meet the need. If the man feels so compelled that he has to legally take me to case of it, then let's resolve it. Let's settle it. And if the man feels so strong that I've angered him so much, he's got to slap me in the cheek, then turn the other cheek to him and let's help him with his anger. Let's find some peace because we're all going to give an answer to the same master. And so you see the world from a different perspective. You see the commandments of God from an obedient heart rather than from the heart of saying, how do I get out of this? How do we serve the Lord better is what the Messiah was specifically trying to teach us. There's in this passage in Matthew 5, uh, a brother brought this subject up to me this week. It's, it's just another example of the living Torah. Brother shared this with me that this was a compelling subject for him. You know what? It's a compelling subject for a whole bunch of brethren. Let me read it to you. It's where the Messiah is talking about the Torah, and he says, verse 31, Matthew 5, verse 31. And it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of dismissal. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Divorced people. Now, I've heard all kinds of Christians either get judgmental and absolutely condemn other brethren. And then I've seen others go the other way. And there is no commandment anymore. There is a commandment. And the Lord did speak from the Ten Commandments and said, you will not commit adultery. And we do know how important that is. And we do know, brethren, that sometimes, and it happens more frequently in this generation, people get divorced. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that God didn't say what he said. I'm not going to tell you that that is not a commandment, that that's not God's rules. But I, what I am going to tell you is this, is that being the bondservant of Yeshua, one of the things that you learn is that God looks on your heart. And he judges you according to your heart. And he says that if you are obeying him from your heart, 
regardless of your outward behavior. He counts it to your credit. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, it says this, though a sinner sins the same sin 100 times a day. Think about it for a moment. Though a sinner sins the same sin a 100 times a day, yet I know it will be well with him because he fears the Lord. How is it possible that we can take a righteous religious man who can go in and say, oh, God, thank you, God, that I am not like other men. (laughs) You know, I obey you. I keep all your commandments. I fast twice a week. I tithe mint and dill and cumin. I tithe even down to powders. And then another man who's just a filthy, rotten sinner who comes in and he is so humbled by his sin he can't even raise his head he can't even look up all he can do is to get the words to come out he's got to beat his chest god have mercy on me a sinner when it comes to torah when it comes to the commandments of god when it comes to the judgment of god that which is righteous and true the messiah said one came out of there righteous It's the guy who prayed from his heart. The guy who was dealing with his heart. That's the righteous man. That's the man who fulfilled the commandment. That's the guy who's going to be found in right standing with God. What I would say to you, brethren, is I don't care whether your sin is adultery or thievery or lying or whatever. You know, let's just, you know, you can go down the whole spectrum. I don't care what it is. I don't care if the law, I can show you the law, proves you deserve death. The same God who made that law said, if you'll turn to me with your whole heart, you'll be saved. You'll be righteous before me. But if you want to play your religiosity and you want to say, yeah, I'm right, God. I did it perfect. I did it just fine then you will find yourself lacking. You remember the rich man who came? What must I do to have eternal life? Well, keep the commandments. Obey the Lord. I've done that from my youth. Oh, that's right. You have. Oh, I know what you need to do. You're a rich man. Give everything you have to the poor. Show yourself to be the servant of God. (laughs) Well, I thought I could prove I was the servant of God by just keeping the commandments. No, the proof of whether you're the servant of God is things that come from your heart, not what other men see. Because God will be looking down to see if you're the servant of God. Yeshua concludes Matthew, this teaching in Matthew in Matthew 7 by saying, not everybody who comes to me and calls me Lord, Lord, will be entering the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody that calls me Lord, Lord, will be entering the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father. What is the will of of God. What is the will of his father? Let me hold that question for the moment. And Yeshua goes on to say that that man's defense will be, verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we perform many miracles in your name? I always like to stop everybody right here. Sounds like a full gospel, charismatic, Pentecostal, Baptist, evangelical, right-wing extremist assembly to me. From that assembly, there will be men calling him Lord who will not make it. And he says to him, depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. 
lawlessness. Because there's going to be people who are going to call the Messiah Lord, who will have the evidence of casting out demons, prophesying his name, doing many miracles, who wouldn't obey the Lord. They were lawless. What law am I referring to? They weren't the servant of God. They didn't follow the rules of servants. And they may have been a religious man and they may have fooled a lot of their brethren, but they did not fool the Lord. They were not his servant. They weren't bond servants. They didn't choose the Lord. Now we know, and our new covenant faith teaches this rightfully so. It's not by the outward behaviors, brethren. It's what's inside that counts. The Lord's going to judge you by what's inside of you. Men will judge you by the outward things. Do not stop short of thinking just because you fooled your brethren around here that you're going to make it. You have to convince the Lord. And he's going to look down on your heart. And the first thing he's going to ask you, some real simple stuff. Do you want to serve me? Did you make me your God? Let's see if you did that. If, if one of your brethren came and asked to borrow something from me, from you, were you servant enough to even lend him something that you knew you were going to get back? Were you even willing to do that? And there's a lot of guys who will do a lot of prophesying and casting out demons. They won't even lend something to a friend because they're not servants, let alone bond servants of the Messiah. Brethren, the commandments of the Lord, there are two types. There are commandments for free men, and there are commandments for servants. And if we're going to be the servants of God, then the commandments that I'm referring to are going to be those commandments that Yeshua taught. Same ones that Moses taught, but they're going to have a different emphasis on Are you obeying from the heart, or are you just making other men convinced? As I've said to you before, it's nice, it's good, it's wonderful that you want to come and learn the commandments of the Lord, that you want to maybe learn to keep Sabbath. It's good that you want to keep the festivals and, and you want to keep those three great festivals and, and that you want to be right and appropriate in your dealings. But what I'm saying to you is we're looking for a change in you. I want you to come to know the Lord. I want you to come to the point where you have made a decision and you say, I choose the Lord over everything else. I now know the Lord is more valuable than anything the world has to offer me. And that you've made that decision. Because that's the one that makes us brethren together in the same house. Free men have their own house. But if you want to be in the house of the Lord, you've got to be a servant. And if we're going to be in the house together, we have to be servants together. In the Lord's house. Amen. For more information about Lion and Lamb Ministries, call our office at 405-447-4429. Our address is Post Office Box 720-968, Norman, Oklahoma, 73070. Our web address is www.lionlamb.net. Thank you.